So today is Vision Sunday for 2019, and uh, I just wanted to take today to take some time to share with you uh, and look back a little bit of what God has done uh, this previous year, and then share what I feel God is leading us to as a church family in 2019, uh, a little bit, just scratching the surface. There's no way that I could get into everything that I feel uh, for what God is going to do. Um, but we are going to scratch the surface just a little bit today. And I've titled this message, Three Callings, because uh, I want to talk about specifically three callings, the calling of Branches Church, my calling as a pastor, and then your calling as a saint and a member. And uh, if you're a guest here today, we're glad that you chose to be with us and um, to worship. Are you excited about this new year? Who's excited about 2019? And uh, have you made some plans? Kind of, yes. Some of us have. Some of us are starting to think about it. Uh, maybe you've already planned that, that great vacation destination that you're going to go to this year and get some time off. Or maybe you're, you've planned already, looked ahead, even thought about it maybe before this year started when you were going to take those days off from work. Maybe you looked around and you thought, you know, i got some projects that I've kind of let sit. I want to get done. Maybe they're projects in your home or they're projects that uh, – or just some projects, some, some DIYs or something you want to do before the end of the year finishes. Maybe you have set yourself some goals that you're going to crush in 2019. You know, I think the beginning of a year is a fantastic time because it's kind of like the canvas has been cleared and now anything can be possible. Anything can be possible. And, and sometimes we need those little bit of, of, of resets, you know. Um, I, I like to golf. I, I really enjoy golfing. But one of the most freeing things about golf um, was the day that I realized that the next hole was a brand new hole. Because I may have shot a bogey or, Lord forbid, a triple bogey, which a triple bogey is three over par, and a triple bogey is not winning any PGA Tour tournaments. Just telling you, uh, a bogey is not winning any tour tournaments. I may have shot a bogey, but the next hole is a brand-new hole. I can par or I can birdie. It's a brand-new hole. And, and I, I think we need those kind of resets in our life, and the beginning of the year is a great time for those resets, because now the canvas has been cleared. It's a brand new year. Last year is gone. You can let go of it if you choose to, and you can forget about things that are back there, and you can, only ref and you can decide to reflect back and only see the good things. You know, what's interesting about our memory, uh, we don't have a memory that constructs everything perfectly. Science has proven that 
that we can take things and we can construct a memory even by things that had not happened to us. Probably some of us have memories of something that we're not even aware of because we were so young, we don't have a memory of that happening. But we heard the story so many times from our parents that we've kind of constructed this memory in our mind that we remember something. And the memory is a fascinating thing because you can, you can, if you really want to, you can look back and you can choose what you're going to remember about certain events that take place. And maybe this has happened to you before. You'll start talking with someone. You were both present at the same memory, and you start talking about it, and they say, oh, that's not how that happened. It happened like this. And you say, well, no, no, I remember it going like this. And they say, well, I remember that happening, but that wasn't all. This happened too, and this happened. And, and, and all of a sudden, you get a fuller picture of what took place. Well, Branches Church is about to become four years old. And we're in a super exciting time. The infancy of a church and the youth of a church, the I guess four years old, you'd say the young kid, toddler age of a church is a is an excellent, excellent time. And so I want to remind you of what Branch's calling is all about. In John 15 and 15, this scripture is not in there. I'm just bringing this in. This is the inspiration for Branch's church. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now how many of us will admit without him we can do nothing. I can do nothing without him. And so I want to live as he has called me to live. And I want us to live as he has called us to live. To be branches connected to the true vine bearing much fruit for his kingdom. And so our vision at Branches Church is super simple. It's branches in every city, community, and neighborhood in Metro Atlanta. And I believe over the lifetime of the ministry of Branches Church, we will see that happen. We will start to see life groups in every community. We'll see them in every neighborhood. We'll see churches begin to be open in every city around Metro Atlanta. We'll see what God is going to do. And we're going to fulfill our mission, which is to connect people to Jesus Christ, to uh, become disciples and bear fruit for his glory. It's not that complicated. It's super simple. And I want you to understand what we are today, but in order to talk about what we are, we need to talk about some things that we are not going to be or to become. Because not only is there a danger of not becoming what you set out to become, but there's also a danger of getting off course and becoming something that you never intended to be. And I intend for this church for, to be a healthy church, a spiritually healthy place. And so we have to be aware of things that could come in and, and change that slightly without us realizing it. 
So what are we not? We are not going to become a spiritually dead church built on simple ritual. That's not what we're going to become. We're going to be a spiritually alive church. We're going to be a church so when people walk in, they feel and sense that there is something different about this church. And let me tell you what causes that to happen and what makes that happen. It's not in having the right doctrine, although doctrine is important, and we're going to have the right doctrine. It's not in having a group of people that come together or are smiling or friendly. That's not going to be it. That doesn't change people's lives. Although kindness goes really far, I'm not talking about kindness. I'm talking about delivering people from their lifestyle. And that only happens in a spiritually alive church. And that spiritual life only happens in prayer and fasting. It has to happen spiritually in us before it takes place in the church and before it affects the community. We have to have more prayer and fasting. We're not going to be a church based on American consumerism. Pursuing consumer Christians looking for a shallow religious experience. Now don't mistake me and don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we're going to turn people away at the doors. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is whenever they come in, we're going to call people to a higher experience, a deeper experience, a deeper connection with God and with His Word. Not just a consumer Christianity that says, I'm going to take this little piece and I'm going to enjoy this and it's what I do on Sunday. That's not what God ever intended for His church to be. He intended for His church to be something that would change lives, impact the world, and would drive Satan out of his mind with madness and anger. That's what he intended for his church to be. And he intended for every Christian to separate themselves and to stand out from the rest of the world and so that people would come in contact with us and say, there's something markably different about that person. That's what he intended. And so what we are going to be is we're going to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led church. I will teach and I will preach a new birth experience just as Jesus Christ and the disciples who followed him taught and preached. I will lead every person that I can to believe in Jesus Christ as the only Lord and Savior with repentance from sin because you can't be saved in your sin. You must be saved from your sin. That's why he came. So repentance from sin and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ because it is the only name under heaven whereby we can be saved and so I believe strongly we should be baptized just as the first church did in the name of Jesus Christ and the the promise is that to those who obey he has promised that he would fill them with the gift of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues I will not water that down I will not minimize that I want everyone to have the same experience because it is promised for everyone who believes and who obeys. It's not just for some elite group. It's not just for some prophets and apostles and teachers and preachers. It's for every Christian that is called out from this world. That is who it is for. We will call people to discipleship. And we will call people to the work of sanctification and to a holy lifestyle. 
and I'm going to explain some things in just a moment about the difference between justification and sanctification and a holy lifestyle. But I want you to understand what we are. We are striving, we are a church that is striving and wrestling, if you will, toward being a book of Acts church in the 21st century. A healthy church that can make an impact in a world that needs God desperately in people's lives that need a living God. Not just some traditional ritual that they do on Sunday or something their family was a part of, but a healthy church that makes a change in people's lives. What makes us healthy? What is it that's going to make us healthy? I want to talk to you about a few of those things. Our church is doing wonderful, and I celebrate what God has done. In four years, Shelly and I came here with our son. We had zero connections to anyone in the community. And all we knew was that God had sent us here to start a church. And you have a lot of ideas in your mind about what that's going to look like. You know, I mean, in four years, literally in four years, when I looked four years down the road, there were two things in my mind. We'll be the biggest church in the city or we won't be here. And we're neither of those. And I celebrate that. I'm not ashamed of that. Our church is growing. Numbers continue to grow every year. Our attendance grew last year. Our finances grew last year. The number of people that were baptized in the name of Jesus grew last year. The number of people who received the gift of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, that grew last year. The amount of hours we spent in prayer, it grew last year over the previous year. This year, I want to see more prayer, and I want to see more fasting, and I want to see more people filled with the Holy Spirit, and I want to see more people baptized in the name of Jesus. Christ, and I want to see more people get in touch with Branches Church and get connected, and I want to see more things happen, and I want us to be able to do more by by having more finances to do more with to impact Metro Atlanta. I want to see all of that, and I know what's going to happen. It's the signs of a healthy church, and I praise God for what he has done, and I believe we should take a minute just to say thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and what you have done in Jesus' name. Can we give him a hand clap of praise? If the Lord doesn't build a house, they that labor, labor in vain. And I don't want to do anything without the Lord. And I want it to be healthy. I want to talk to you about my calling as your pastor. I've spent a lot of time studying and trying to dig out what my responsibility is because I don't want to miss what God is directing me to do. And I, I can break down to three things what Scripture calls for a pastor, a shepherd to do. And that is to feed, to lead, and to tend. Acts 20 and 28 says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, 
among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. When I think about Branch's church, I don't think about my church because this is not my church. This is his church. Even if he's called me to tend to the flock, to be an overseer or the, of, for the flock. And so I continuously, and this year I'm making a, even a deeper commitment and resolve to spend more time taking heed to myself and taking heed to the flock. And what does that mean? It means praying for you and holding you up before the Lord and saying, God, what does this person need? What does Vince need to hear on this Sunday morning? What does he need to see uh, demonstrated in Bible study? What what is what is uh, Ashley and Kimberly, what do they need whenever they come to Branches Church? What are you trying to feed them with? What are you trying to do in their life? And I'm committed to that. It's interesting, Jesus in his conversation with Simon Peter just before his ascension in John 21, verses 15 through 17, or just before his crucifixion, excuse me. They're eating breakfast, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he's talking about the people that surround them. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. So he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He's grieved because he's wondering, does Jesus believe what I'm saying? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Two times he says, feed my sheep. One time he says, tend my sheep. Feeding is pretty easy. And and what I mean by that, it's I enjoy the preparation of Sunday, and I enjoy preparing Bible study, and and I enjoy the preaching, the teaching. Feeding is easy. And on your end, feeding is easy to swallow. Look at someone and say, that's easy to swallow. Feeding is easy to swallow. But tending, tending, that's, that's a little more involved. That, that's not just saying, here, here's a grass, eat some. Tending takes being present and it takes being involved. And I found that not only is tending a little more activity for me, But tending is also people can struggle with whenever it comes to leading and tending. Because we've become this American Christianity where we want everything kind of given to us in a rosy, dessert-filled tray. And we don't want to be challenged, not right in our face. We don't want to be 
led in a way that we're going to walk away struggling from that. We don't want to be tended in a way that when someone says, hey, get away from that gate. Instead of the sheep running away, what are you doing? Why are you doing that to me? And we have this culture that we're having to work against. And I say we because you and I both are working against it because I grew up in the same culture. But I want to prepare you and I want you to understand that my calling is not only to feed, but it's also to lead and to tend. And there are going to be times this year when I'm going to challenge you to rise higher in your consecration to God. There are going to be times this year when I'm going to look at you and I'm going to warn you about snares that I see, about opportunities that the enemy will have in your life. There are going to be times when I need to warn you and you're going to have to be prepared for that. There are going to be times when I pull us to do more for God and for his kingdom. And there be times whenever it gets uncomfortable because I'm trying to lead you in your life and I'm trying to tend you and I'm trying to direct you as a good shepherd should. And I do it not because I'm mean, not because I'm harsh. I do it because I love you and I do it because he has called me to lead and to tend you away from this world and toward righteousness according to his word, not my word. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 is an interesting scripture because it says he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. We would call this the five-fold ministry. Some people have an opinion of four-fold ministry. I'm comfortable with five or four-fold because I believe in multiple callings that a person can have that's called by God. In other words, what I mean by that is someone can operate as an apostle. They can also be a pastor and a teacher. Somebody can be a prophet as well as be an evangelist. They don't have to just be one. But most often you hear people refer to this as a five-fold ministry because there are five labels mentioned, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I do think it's interesting that pastor and teacher is kind of tied together. They're not separated. That word and kind of draws them together. But notice what he says or writes right after that comma of teachers. He says, for the equipping of the saints. And that word equipping is deeper than just equipping. If you go and study it out, what it means is full preparation. It means perfecting. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And see, we often think that it's the pastor, the teacher, the preacher, the evangelist, the apostle, the prophet that comes to the church, and he's the one doing the ministry. That is not accurate. The ministry is done by the saints. The saints minister to one another, edifying the body of Christ. And so my calling is not just, really it's not, to minister to you. It is to perfect you so that you can do the ministry for the body. And so this year, I'm committed to doing more leading and tending. 
I won't quit feeding, but I'm going to do more leading and tending. This is where God is calling me to grow. Amen? Salvation, we often say, I've been saved. How many of us have been saved? That's good. You should feel confident in that. I've been saved. But salvation is more than a past event. What we really mean when we use that old term, say, I've been saved, is we mean I've been justified. Jesus paid the price for my sins. And so it's just as if I'd never sinned. I'm sinned. I'm now justified in Jesus Christ. It's Romans 3:23 through 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, that means a payment by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. It means he would just pass over them. He, he would allow them for a time. The sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. He, he had that forbearance. He allowed that so that this present time his righteousness could be shown. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who, was, who has faith in Jesus Christ. And so whenever you and I come and we experience the salvation of the Lord, we experience a New Testament, new birth relationship with the Lord. We are justified in him. And that's why we can say, I have been saved, because we know the experience. We know what we had. We know what our relationship with God. But listen, that's not where salvation ends. Salvation is not a past event. Because now we don't stop there. We continue on being sanctified. It is the work of sanctification. Hebrews 10 and 14 says it like this, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So what does that mean? That means I'm justified. It's it's a state of being. Whenever I come to God, and I experience salvation, I am saved. But I'm continuing my work of salvation in God or God's work of salvation in my life as long as I allow my life to be sanctified. And what that means is that means eliminating some things, turning loose of some things in this life that are not holy, that are not righteous, that are not uh, good in the sight of God, and they work against his Word And I stay in that state until one day I will be glorified. So we have three states that we live in. We live as we are justified, we are being sanctified, and soon we will be glorified. And glorified means fully perfected. So looking forward toward perfection, this is perfection for eternity. First Peter 5 and 10 says this, and I'm going to read it in the New King James Version. It says, but the God 
God of all grace who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you have suffered a while. Have you ever suffered in life? I'm, I'm telling you, life, I, I, it's, it can be some suffering. I don't know about you, but I'm having a rough time sometimes getting up in the morning. I find myself, I have to pull this arm across my body, get it to loosen up, and I pull this arm, and I walk. <laughs> I don't know if I should tell all this. <laughs> I, I walk to the bathroom. I'm like this. I get up in the morning to go fix my hair and stuff until everything loosens up. It's just I'm sore just from sleeping. How can you get sore from sleeping? It's still perplexing me. But I do every night. I must be having some fight dreams or something, battling in my sleep. I'm way off track now. Where was that? Five, First Peter 5 and 10. He says, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect. Establish, strengthen, and settle you. What is he looking toward? He's looking toward heaven. We're going to be perfected there. We're going to be glorified. Everything that we deal with here, it'll be settled. It will be established. We'll be strengthened to the point where we don't need any strengthening. Right now, I'm in a sanctification period. I have to come to God, and sometimes I get a bad attitude. I got to deal with a bad attitude. Sometimes I get a negative spirit. I got to deal with the negative spirit. Sometimes I find myself reacting and saying things to family and friends and people, and, and I really shouldn't do that. Why? Because I'm not perfect yet. That's why. I'm being sanctified. So salvation, what it does, salvation starts in your spirit. It's in your heart. And it works through sanctifying your soul and your mind. That's God working in us to get rid of all of the weights and the sins and the cares of the world. And when he returns... You're looking forward to that. When he returns, then he'll glorify our body. So it's a work from the inside to the outside. It's called being justified, sanctified, and glorified. Look at someone beside you and say, we're on this journey together. Because that's what we are as a church. We are on this journey together. And it is my calling to feed you, to lead you, and to tend you. And I'm going to put a little more emphasis on that leading and tending this year. I want to talk to you about your calling. Did you know you're called? Ephesians 4, 1 through 4 I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. Look at someone beside you and say, you're called. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, forbearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. You're called. You have a calling. And he lists some things here. And, and, and it would make sense for you to go sometime and write these things down to walk worthy. How do you walk worthy? With all lowliness and gentleness. 
with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace for the one body and one Spirit called in our one hope. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Really, we're going to read uh, 13 through to 26. I want to talk to you about your calling. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Called to liberty. But then he gives a warning. He says, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. You ever had the experience with someone, they're doing something, and, and just say, well, you know, grace is the easy pass off. He says, don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So the first thing we're called to do is we're called to love one another and not to chew on one another. What does that mean? It means be careful what you say about your fellow uh, brother and sister in Christ. Be careful how you deal with them. To love one another as you love yourself. Not chewing up on each other. And spitting one another out, consuming one another. In verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. Hey, guess what? You've got an enemy closer to you than Satan. You know what that enemy is? It's your flesh. It's your flesh. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And he's not saying that you're free from the law. What he is saying is if you're under the spirit, you're going to walk according to the principles of God. And the law is not going to have an effect on you because you're going to live according to what God's desire is for your life. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. He's going to tell us exactly what the things of the flesh are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. We could all just repent right now. In Jesus' name, forgive me for my outbursts of wrath and anger. Selfish ambitions. We can all pause and repent right there. (laughs) Lord, forgive me for my selfish ambitions. Dissensions, heresies, envy. We can all pause and (laughs) repent right there. Murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. 
of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now verse 22 through 23, he gives some things that we all like to focus on and celebrate, and, and I don't think that's wrong. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Against such there is no law. And I'll tell you this, we should all have more of. Amen. Now, I notice what he did not say in the fruit of the Spirit. He says love. He says joy, he says peace, he says long-suffering. He says kindness, he says goodness. He says faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I like that faithfulness because he just called me to be faithful. Being faithful is not being perfect. He never says the fruit of the Spirit is perfection. So listen, you and I are not going to be perfect. 2019 is not going to be perfect. But you and I can be faithful. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Now as I said, we like to look at those. But verse 24 through 26, I'm going to tell you, is a key to having verse 22 through 23. And a lot of people stop reading right there. They pull out their phone. They take a selfie. And they post it and say, fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, long-suffering. I'm joking, being a little facetious. Galatians 5, 24 through 26. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Remember I talked about we're justified, we're sanctified. Then we become glorified. We're in the process of sanctification. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Notice he ties crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires right directly to living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. So I'm talking about your calling. Your calling is to work toward perfection. You say, I can't be perfect. He doesn't call you to be perfect. He calls you to faithfulness. And what faithfulness does is whenever He says, hey, you need to get rid of this in your life, Hey, you need need to work on this anger that you've been holding back and your resentment. You need to deal with this so that you can be more Christ-like. It is being Christ-like enough and being in Christ enough to say, I'm going to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires so that I can live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Not being conceited, not provoking one another, 
not envying one another, but ministering to one another, the body. So here is my question for you, and I'm going to end with this. You can stand with me. I want to challenge you. We're going to gather around the front in just a minute. We're going to give the Lord an opportunity to speak to us, and we're going to pray. My question is you, to you today. I've talked to you about your calling. What are you going to do this year to fulfill your calling? Because it, I learned this a long time ago, it does not just happen. I didn't wake up one day when I was 19 and the Lord had called me to preach and I stepped out the front door and I was a preacher and when I went to work at the grocery store that I worked at actually I'm sorry it was a music store when I got to the music store they didn't look at me and say what are you doing here you're a preacher it didn't just happen and, I, and I've learned everything that God calls me to amazingly it does not just happen. He gives me the strength. He gives me the power. He gives us the ability to overcome. And it's only through Him that anything is done. But it doesn't just happen. So to fulfill your calling, what are you going to do in 2019 to fulfill your calling? Let me make it a little more personal. What passion of the flesh are you going to crucify? What desire are you going to put on the altar and say, Lord, I'm crucifying this? What thing in your life are you going to put on the cross and say, I'm going to let that die? Because I'm going to closer resemble Jesus Christ by the end of this year than I did last year. What are you going to do this year to fulfill your calling? Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. Do you desire to be closer to Jesus Christ and have a deeper experience with Him than you've had previously? I hope that the answer is yes. I wonder if right now we could just pray and ask God to speak into our heart what it is maybe this year He wants us to lay on the altar and trust Him with that we can let go of it in our life. Lord, You see every one of us here today. God, hungry for You. God, we're faithful people. We desire You. We want more of your kingdom in our life. We don't always understand how to do it. We don't always make the right steps. We fall and we falter many times. God, the desire is there in our heart. It's earnest. We hunger and desire more of you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you begin to speak to our hearts and tell us what it is, God, that we need to let go this year. We need to crucify. We need to 
to kill the passions and desires that we've held on to so that we can resemble you, that we can be more Christ-like, so that we can be further down the road, our sanctification, 